Hi, I'm Emily Hahn. I am a naturalist, a writer, and teacher. Uh, my work focuses on intersections of nature, culture, food, and plant medicine. So I do many things from writing books to teaching online courses and in-person workshops and uh, nature walks, writing recipes, all kinds of things to really help people connect with the natural world around them. Welcome to the Vietnamese. I'm your host, Kenneth Nguyen. Being part of a culture of nearly 100 million Vietnamese people in the world today comes with a lot of pain, proud history, and privilege. Join me as I highlight and explore the Vietnamese experience from all over the world. Thank you. How has being part Vietnamese, what does it mean for you? That's, a, that's an interesting question. I think it's something that has um, that I've thought about throughout my life and, and probably kind of shifts, you know, in, in, in different types. So <laughs> um, that's, that's a question that I probably thought about for, for much of my life and it kind of, you know, shifted and, and meant different things at different points. I think um, it's, Growing up with Vietnamese as my primary language until I was about the age of five, you know, in some ways that the I think being Vietnamese is is that that language and something that's really like embedded deep within me. Although today I can barely speak Vietnamese, so um, yeah, I can kind of understand, but I'm so out of practice that you know, and yet it's still something that I think um, the sounds is you know something so deeply familiar and comfortable to be comfortable, you know, comforting. But that's um, something that, you know, that being Vietnamese means to me, I think, um, you know, traditions that I learned, you know, from, from family, from, you know, food and herbs and uh, stories, um, holidays, you know, things like that, um, is, you know, has been an important part of my experience. Um, so, you know, even being half Vietnamese, I think it's something that, or not quite half, almost <laughs> half Vietnamese, you know, something that, um, that I do, you know, think about in, in terms of, um, you know, what is it? What does it mean to to be kind of you know, integrating multiple cultures and identities, you know, as, as a part part Vietnamese and part Vietnamese American? Person. Right, right. We we talked on a little bit on the pre-interview. Um, how much Vietnamese culture, or how much do you have to have inside of you, and what does that even mean to be saying, you know, um, how Vietnamese you are, right? Because that's something we explore a lot. Uh, is that something that matters to you or is it something that, you know, is a natural kind of thing that's inside of you because of your experience? Right. Yeah. It's a tricky thing. And, and, you know, I'll, at different times in my life or different moments that I have sometimes even still today, you know, I'll get caught up in thinking, um, you know, what percentage Vietnamese am I or how much Vietnamese culture did I grow up with or do I still use today? And, and, um, you know, trying to measure it that way. But, you know, I think I really realized that, um, you know, to me that that's not really what, what makes me feel Vietnamese or, or makes me feel connected to Vietnamese culture. It's, it's those other things like um, my family, my food, thinking, you know, connect, like acknowledging my ancestors, you know, things like that, that, um, that make, you know, being Vietnamese or make me feel like, you know, that I, that I am Vietnamese. You, you have a very interesting uh, lineage to Vietnam, um, not biological, well, of course, biologically and of course, culturally, but through your mother. Um, can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, it's an interesting, um, you know, my, my father is um, 
Vietnamese Chinese and actually grew up in Cambodia. So, so you know, there's kind of multiple uh, cultures and ethnicities and nationalities, you know, within his family experience that passed down to me. And then my mother is Anglo-American, but she in um, college, she read um, some work by a Buddhist teacher, Kajan Han, and uh, became very inspired and reached out to him and wanted to help his uh, efforts. And, and so she ended up moving, he was exiled in France at the time, and she ended up moving um, to live with him in France and learned Vietnamese and um, ended up translating many of his books into English. And then um, was basically sent by him to rescue uh, Vietnamese boat people. And so she went on a boat in the South China Sea and that, she met my dad who was the basically the first mate on the boat. <laughs> so, um, so, you know, even though, you know, she is being a, Anglo-American, you know, I, I also absorbed a lot of, you know, language from her as well as uh, customs, traditions, recipes, you know, things that she had learned during her time living with Vietnamese people. And so, um, you know, that's another thing I, I, you know, kind of try to tease out sometimes too, you know, I learned some things from my, my father or his mother and, and his siblings and that part of my family, as well as other things from my mom too. What year did your mother go to Vietnam? Oh, gosh. You know, I'm not, I don't remember exactly the year. And she didn't actually go to Vietnam. She ended up going to Thailand and Singapore, and they kind of traveled around. My dad, the, the ship they were using had left from Cambodia. And so it was, they were just, they were kind of, you know, going, going many places. Um, so this sounds like it's after the war, right? Yeah, yeah. Five, yeah. Because, uh, she is traveling on the peripheral of Viet the periphery of Vietnam. Right, right. She wasn't actually in Vietnam. Mm -hmm. And so it's it sounds like she was sort of moving around, kind of transient for a few years. Um, no, it was it was much shorter. I think it was a it was a few months, um, shorter period of time than that. Um, I think it basically, you know, I think she kind of got thrown into this, not exactly knowing, you know, what she, what she was in for, but she spoke Vietnamese and then she spoke English, which was, I think, you know, really they were looking for somebody who could help them, you know, maybe get through some of the red tape and, you know, things like that by, by speaking English. So, um, so that's. Now I, I know that this went. is going to be a, a, a strange question because you're not your mother, but I would love mm -hmm. to hear what you think. How do you think it, that whole experience changed your mother? Oh, I think, you know, profoundly, <laughs> I'm, I'm certain, um, you know, I think she, she was, she, you know, she was already very idealistic and an activist and had been, you know, had been arrested for, you know, protesting the Vietnam War in the U.S. and, and things like that. Um, so I think, you know, she was, she was, I think, just ready for anything and went, but I, but I can't even imagine, you know, I, I don't think she probably even imagined what she was really in for, um, you know, as she was going off on this, you know, this, this refugee ship and, and, you know, meeting these people and then meeting my dad. And, um, yeah, I mean, I just, I often think about how, how brave, you know, she must have been, but also probably because she probably didn't know exactly what she was, what she was in for, you know, she was young and willing, you know, willing to do that. Does she still talk about, uh, the experience with, uh, Tai, uh, at this moment uh, the, during these uh, last few years 
Yeah, you know, we, we have actually been talking about him more recently. You know, he, he is very, you know, elderly now and has gone back to Vietnam. And, um, you know, I grew up like throughout my childhood, we would, you know, often see him, we would go to retreats and, and spend time with him and things like that. And, um, you know, it was kind of funny for me in some ways, like he kind of felt like a, he was a family member. I mean, he was also, he was a revered teacher, but like, you know, I think um, some stories about me, you know, when I was little and I would, you know, I sometimes would speak to him in a very familiar, you know, way in the disease and um, <laughs> maybe not proper, but, um, but, you know, I really felt very, you know, very fortunate to have that experience. Um, growing up and then um you know as i i got older and moved away from home and you know you know things changed it, it has been a long time you know since i've seen him or since my mom has seen him too um but i think we both just just recently you know i was able to visit my mom and we were talking about what a profound impact you know he's had on on our lives just you know from from, you know, particular, you know, Buddhist teachings and meditation practices, but really just like just our everyday life, you know, just the, the way that we approach things and, and see the world. And um, yeah, I'm, I'm really very grateful for all that. So what was he really like? Do you have, <laughs> do you have a, a sort of um, a description of like his personality? You know, it's funny. I think about when I when I was a, when I was a little kid, and sometimes I would actually be a little bit of um, I would be nervous because he would always want me to sing. He would he would love you know he loved I think um, songs, and so um, so yeah, I would you know being someone who I think was, was uh, more introverted and it didn't like singing in front of other people. I was always a little bit worried. Is he going to make me sing? You know, but um, but, but he was I mean such such a warm and I mean truly very like grounded and peaceful presence and I mean really you know as much as on one hand you know maybe he just he seemed like a like a family member or something and you could you know I could feel feel that um special presence of his and um yeah just you know just the way he would you know drinking just drinking tea with him and things like that you know it's really Wonderful it's interesting, like when somebody like me, who's really on the outside of all of that kind of uh, Buddhist culture and, and, you know, when I read um, something about a new guest like you and I get introduced, uh, a friend of mine said, oh, you should check out Emily and, and, and who she is. And so I'm reading and it's really just a lot about um, your your work as a, you know, in, in the herbalist uh, community and, and nature community. But sometimes or most of the times for me i could see the lineage of you know how things affect you and how you know things sort of rub off on you know our childhood and and these wonderful things that we 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 meet and encounter and i you know i just extrapolate and i'm like oh okay well sort of that's sort of like where the love of nature probably comes from is, is that true or am i way off yeah no i think you're, you're absolutely correct and you know some of it has been I think more consciously in my mind and some of those things I come to later is like, oh yeah, of course, that's, you know, why I have a certain perspective on, you know, interdependence of, of plants and animals and people and, you know, things like that. It's like, if I was steeped in that, you know, from, from a young age, um, I think some of the, one of the experiences that I can really, I feel like I trace a lot of that back to is, um, so with Tai, we would do, um, tea meditations, but with the children, he would often do tangerine meditations. So we would, 
we would, you know, we would have like, you know, each have a tangerine and we would be peeling and experiencing and eating that tangerine in this mindful way, like people might do with pee, but it was, you know, wonderful for, for children. And just that, you know, just that being present in the moment and the, you know, sensory aspects of being with that tangerine and, and seeing, you know, he would, he talked about seeing the whole world, you know, in your cup of tea or in that tangerine. So it's, it's the sun and the rain and the farmer, and, you know, the, the bees and, you know, everything encompassed, you know, within that. Um, and so when I look at, you know, how I approach herbs or, or connecting with nature, it, you know, really does all trace back to, to that kind of perspective. How lucky and fortunate you have 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 to be to to have got to experience that wonderful um, exercise. Yeah, I, I do feel very fortunate, and and to you know hopefully be able to to weave it in some way, you know, into the to the work that I do. Another person that uh, that came up was um, Cesar Chavez. That came up in my reading about you. Uh, mm -hmm. You, yeah, when I think about kind of the big, big influences on, on my young life and still kind of my perspective today, you know, would be um, those two people. And um, she was another person, you know, brought into my life by, by my mother. Um, she had um, participated in a lot of his, his uh, boycotts, um, for example, like uh, grape boycotts and, and um, because of the pesticide used um, on the crops. Um, I guess in the, in the 80s and so so I grew up you know doing going to to marches and things with him and um when he would come to I grew up in San Antonio Texas and when he would come to town my mom would actually like cook his he, he uh would eat like vegan meals so um there, I don't think there weren't a lot of like vegan people in, in Texas so you know people knew of my mom and they asked you know if she would she would do that so um so he was not someone that I was as spend as much time with or you know felt you know not as close to in the in the same way that I felt you know with with uh Tignal Han but um but just going on those protest marches or or just seeing what he did and um you know I think really affected just my sense of, of social justice and and environmental justice and things like that now these two people are, are major figures in the world uh in our mm -hmm. modern, uh they've yeah. just been you know um uh, a huge they've made huge impacts in the way we exist um do you, i guess my question is when you when you follow the trajectory of what they've done are 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 they doing massive strokes or are they doing like little bits at a time that that has incrementally moved the world or i mean if you kind of analyze the way that they have shifted our thinking what in what way have what what's the velocity that they that mm. are they special people are they like that this these giants that are able to do it or is it just like these small little steps I'm I'm always curious about that yeah that's a really good question I, I think like you said I mean we kind of see the impact that you know standing here today we see the impact that they've made and it it can seem you know, really huge and broad. And I mean, it is, you know, they have made had massive impact, but, you know, and it's even sometimes something that I look at, like, okay, these, these are my teachers, you know, like they did this, you know, these, these like massive impactful things. And, you know, what am I doing here? <laughs> you know, kind of, but, but then, but then having seen, I guess, you know, some of like sitting there eating tangerines, you know, with, with a group of children or, you know, 
going from city to city doing marches and you know meeting the people you know there and I see that that those big things are made up of you know those those like individual um, actions and that they were and consistently over time I think you know for them it wasn't it wasn't just you know one one big act of of protest or you know something like that it, it was for their you know has been for, for them you know, over over a lifetime and affecting and it, it I think that they did you know have had something special you know within them but it's also because they connected to so many people and you know through you know thousands of people you know across the world um you know able to have that impact because it's it's not just them it's like the the greater communities that they've helped create and um and foster so growing up as a little girl and you know coming into contact with these figures um what did you want to do uh at like professionally or yeah like growing up did you have dreams of becoming a uh you know a farmer a scientist a writer i mean what was going on through your mind as you're experiencing these um people through your mother and through, actually directly through these people yeah that's a, um yeah I, th I think i had lots of you know various dreams i think i i wanted to travel i think because you know through through them i saw you know kind of and, and other other people, you know, in my life when I was young, you know, world outside of, you know, San Antonio, Texas and stuff. So, I, you know, I kind of, I saw that. Um, I did, you know, I, I would write a lot. I would create like little publications, like little magazines, like made something called the Children's Peace Magazine. So I was always really interested in like publishing and stuff. So, and I think, um, you know, with, with some sort of purpose. So, you know, like a peace, peace movement or, um, I became a vegetarian when I was five years old. So I was, I was oh, often, you know, interested in, interested in, in, you know, creating little, you know, pu publications to encourage people, you know, to, with vegetarian recipes in them, um, things like that. But I had all kinds of interests, you know, I wanted to be a scientist and a musician and this and that. Yeah, I think I, I, there were all kinds of, you know, it wasn't just a one track, you know, um, vision of what I was going to do. And, and, you know, since then I have done, all kinds of things. I did work in publishing. I was an art librarian for a while. I um, worked in finance because I needed some work. <laughs> and so, um, you know, so it's been, you know, kind of a, a, a path that's included many different different strands in it. So um, that brought me to where I am now. You sound like a true creative. <laughs> so when you got into uh, university, um, and you began to sort of study the world. I mean, what, what were, how were you narrowing the, the path uh, or your direction? So at that time, I, I was really interested in, well, still kind of that, that vision of publications and books. And uh, so I was, I was really interested in, in, I studied art history and the history of the book and printing. Uh, you know, throughout different different eras, uh, from like early printing presses to you know more, you know, more modern avant-garde book arts and things like that. But I guess I was just always really interested in in these combinations of like text and image and in in these forms that um, you know these these forms of you know books or publications that people could hold in, in their hands. And um, so that's yeah, that kind of was what that, I did for a while. <laughs> interesting. Uh 
branch of interest. Uh, mm -hmm. You're talking about like Heidelberg and lithograph and, you know, that kind of like printing. Yeah. Print, like serious yeah, printing. Yeah. 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 There was a time when I thought, you know, I was going to become a, like a letter, letterpress printer or something too. That was another path that, you know, I thought about. <laughs> You, you know, there's a um, there's a, a a very fascinating letterpress uh, printing company in L.A. that you can mm -hmm. go and, and see it. They're on the corner of, I think, uh, 7th Street near um, Hoover or something like that. They're called Aardvark. Mm -hmm. Aardvark. And they have these I think they even have like these old um, print printing press that, you know, they put the the the, the alphabets. What do you think? The, yeah, the like the, the types. Yeah, the mm -hmm. types, yeah, the, the mm -hmm. types on and they load it in and then. Oh, neat these arms, you know, pick up the ink and they, and it just does that. It's really fast. Yeah. <laughs> I love that. Yeah. So, so that was kind of, I think maybe my trajectory for a while. Um, and, but I, throughout this, you know, for a very long time, I was really interested in, in food and, and cooking. And I loved that. And, um, I was working as an art librarian when my husband was working for a website called apartment therapy. Uh, and they were, they had a sister site called The Kitchen, which is all about food. And he basically signed me up to start writing about food. And at first I was like, I was really angry at him. I was like, you know, I, I love, I love cooking, but I don't write, you know, about this or you know, I don't create recipes, but it, it ended up becoming a passion. And so I really, um, you know, really got into writing recipes and, you know, helping other people cook in their own their own kitchens and what, what did your husband do at apartment therapy he was an editor um so he writes about design and technology uh, but he was actually he was a graphic designer and then a a product designer uh who ended up becoming a writer like basically writing about those things um, this is a random question. Sort of roped me in, <laughs> roped me into that too. Yeah, Do, this is a random question. But have you ever ran into a person named Vanessa Vargas over at America? Uh, apartment? Oh yeah, yeah, mm -hmm. uh, yeah. We we all worked there at this, around the same time. Yeah, friend of mine. Oh wow, that's cool. <laughs> yeah, I remember her. She's an interior designer. My family we um, mm -hmm. textiles from Vietnam. Oh, wow. And so I, all the, oh, cool. the interior designers, I was very, you know, very close with. And Vanessa and I were friends for many years and we still keep in touch <laughs> on Facebook, but uh, I remember her writing uh, for apartment therapy. So it just, yeah. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. I haven't seen her in a long time, but yeah, we, we definitely did those, those early days <laughs> apartment therapy. Oh, what a small out. world. Yeah. Very interesting. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. Um, you were writing uh, for food for this spinoff of, mm -hmm. or the sidearm of, uh, yeah, apartment therapy. And, mm -hmm. and you know, what, what kind of articles would you write? So I would write, I would write farmer's market reports. I would go to different markets, usually the Hollywood farmer's market on the weekends. And I would, you know, take pictures and talk to the farmers and I would kind of do like a little seasonal report, mm -hmm. um, of, you know, what was in season related recipes. Um, different, different, you know, cooking tips and things like that. Or around that time, you know, I, I would, you know, I would be writing usually like a recipe a week. And so a lot of the times I did, I would just call on, you know, trying to think of, you know, what, what to do would be the recipes from my childhood. So, you know, I would do like Vietnamese recipes, but, but making them vegetarian, you know, that's, that's how we would eat them, you know, either growing up or, um, what I would, you know, how I would do now. So it was a lot of like kind of adaptation of yeah. things. Um, I would do that. Um, my husband's Korean American, so I, would, I was learning a lot of 
uh, recipes from his mom. And so I'd be inspired by that. You know, I would, I would be doing like Korean vegetarian versions <laughs> of recipes. Um, so yeah, it was, it was, uh, it was really good experience just because I, back in those early days, you know, there weren't, the staff was small and we had to write a lot, you know, so it's just like, you know, just, wow. it, you know, I think in, in some ways that was great because I didn't have time to necessarily like wait and procrastinate and think about what I was going to write. It was like, just gotta, gotta get, you know, get things out there. So, so that definitely, um, it's good training, right? Yeah, it was good training. <laughs> so at, at what point did you really get into, um, the sort of the herbal, the, this, you know, obviously I've, I've been researching, but this like certified California naturalist stuff, like how did you transition or what made you sort of like shift into that? Yeah. So that was another thing that I think, um, being in the natural world, you know, spending time outdoors and with plants and animals and hiking and things was a big part of, of my childhood, you know, whether it was my family going out and doing something or just hanging out in the backyard, like in, you know, with, with our Vietnamese herbs, you know, things like that. Um, and then when I moved to LA, um, my husband grew up here and he, he really loved, you know, hiking and spending time in the natural world. And so he would, that was a lot of his way of kind of introducing me to his city was us, you know, going to uh, the mountains or the tide pools or uh, the desert and, you know, spending all this time outdoors. So that was really, I think, what helped me feel rooted in LA um, was that connection with the plants and natural world here, which you know, people probably don't, that's not usually the first thing people think of when they think of LA is you know, no. nature, but, um, but, you know, we do, we are surrounded, um, you know, as a city by, by many different um, natural areas and, um, you know, for me, I think that was, that was my way of, of maybe, you know, connecting to, to where I live. So as I was doing that, uh, I would learn about the plants and, um, you know, finding out that plants that were edible or that had, you know, medicinal, medicinal uh, properties and things like that. And so as I was doing, kind of learning about those, they started infusing their way into my cooking and my recipes and things like that. And, um, so, you know, it wasn't, I think it was just kind of a, a gradual thing where that, 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 um, worked its way in. And then, um, yeah. And then I think I realized, you know, it wasn't, it wasn't just the, the flavors or the medicinal aspects or things like that. It was that sense of connect of working with the plants as being a way of connecting to where you are and the world around you. And, um, the mindfulness of the present moment and, you know, things like that. So, so that kind of became um, more of the focus of, of, you know, what I would do in terms of recipes or just just um, helping people, you know, spend time outside. Damn. It's sometimes when I'm, I take these risks of asking like the, your, your mom's story and Tiknik Han and, you know, I, I, I go on these risks because I'm not, I don't know how it's going to tie in to the story. <laughs> I'll be honest with you. Sometimes I'm just flying, uh, just basically on my curiosity, and um, I'm so glad that we got to talk about that in the very beginning, because mm -hmm. it all makes sense to me now. Um, the, the the mindfulness side of things and and your uh, affinity, your your um, your curiosity to go into the natural wor world and explore it uh, in depth. 
Mm-hmm. And, you know, when I think about this and um, taking it to um, going deeper with the subject, uh, what does that mean to be a certified California naturalist? Oh, right. Yeah. So that was, um, so there is a, a program, many uh, states in, in throughout the U.S. will have a program that's um, through, uh, so like each uh, most states, like through the university system, will have different programs like um, Master Gardener is probably one of the more common ones. Um, I also became a master food preserver um, many years ago. And then, so they also um, had this um, certified naturalist or master naturalist program. So it's, and all of these uh, programs are basically people you um, get training and you learn about these, these subjects and then with the goal of then teaching and sharing that with other people in the community. So, um, so with the certified California naturalist program, there, there are many different, different um, throughout the state, like different university courses or weekend workshops or you know, that week-long retreats and things like this that people can do uh, in different places to become certified. Um, so I took a class through um, Pasadena Community College and um, it was a, a biology class, it was field biology. And so we would be, you know, every week we would be going out to different, you know, different trails and mountains and, you know, around LA and, and learning about the ecology and the geology, animals, plants, and, um, and then creating um, like a capstone project and then uh, to then like teach other people. Uh, about you know some aspect of that that we were interested in. So you know, speaking of books, I made a little book about uh, Toyon, which is one of our our native uh, shrubs or trees here in the Los Angeles area. Um, so that's what I did for that. Um, and then so then as part of that, you know, you can um, you know do different volunteer work or you know different things to to help other people. Uh, Toyon, that sounds so familiar. I think I went on a is it a hiking trail? Oh, is there a trail called? Um, I'm not sure. It's the Bright Red Berries. But actually, the story is that Hollywood is named after them because um, you know p- people who came from the East Coast would see the um, bright red berries that are that are in season, you know, during like the you know, winter time, and reminded them of Holly, and, and that's called it Hollywood. I don't know if that's true, but that's, <laughs> that's a story. Like a great story. Great origin. <laughs> Yeah, I think there's a hiking trail that I saw, uh, the Toyon Toyon Trail, just mm. up in the Pasadena or Altadena area. Okay. Yeah. So okay. So that's what it is. A bright red <laughs> berry, and and so um, so being a California naturalist is 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 different. Um, because it, it's it sounds like it's more like a whole environmental thing, but like, uh, like an American Herbalist Guild. I know that's not what you uh went um. I think it's your writing partner um, in one of the books. Yeah, yeah. I'm not a registered herbalist with the American Herbalist Guild. My my uh, co co-author and co-teacher. Correct, but uh, I I have to ask what that is too because that mm-hmm. like very interesting as well. Uh, yeah, so that that so there's there's no like formal um, licensure or anything for herbalists in the United States, but there is this organization, this guild um, of herbalists that that they you know have standards for professional practice and education and things so that so people can um, apply to become members of the American Herbalist Guild, you know, based on 
on you know the studies that they've done and and the you know clinical experience and things like that. So um, so it's a you know professional organization. And what do people do with sort of these uh, certifications or degrees? There's doesn't sound like there's an actual degree, but what what do you do when you pursue the path of here's my Asian uh, you know side of me, <laughs> the practical application? Of- yeah. yeah, there there are you know so many different ways I think to to be an herbalist or to work, work with plant medicines, and uh, you know some people they be they become clinical uh, you know practitioners and they they you know work with with clients and, um, you know, have health issues. And my, both of my parents were acupuncturists. So, um, so I, you know, so then I grew up with, you know, with herbs in that sense, um, and was never at all interested in becoming an acupuncturist or going into that path. You know, I think my, my father really wanted me to um, take on the family business, but, um, but no, I was not interested in that at all. Well, of course, eventually, you know, I did start becoming much more interested in, you know, herbs and health and things. Um, but um, but I think I still saw that that the clinical path wasn't really you know really what sparked my interest. But you know that's something that people can do. Um, people can become medicine makers, so they will actually you know formulate and blend like the teas and, and tinctures and salves and things like that. Um, there are people who write articles or books or you know teach classes. Um, Take people out into the field or teach them you know how to make medicines um there are you know just so many so many different ways you know and i think and which has been wonderful i think for me just to to be around to, yeah just to see you know there are all these different um different you know communities that people can work with and perspectives you know that they can bring and different plants that that, that they um have relationships with and stuff so it is you know it's a really rich um world i think of herbalism so for me you know it was i I found it was really like helping people connect to the plant and the natural world like where they live and um nurturing their senses you know so they can really slow down and have those those um those relationships and and those moments of, of, you know, mindfulness and um, as well as teaching people how to make the medicines. You know, I, I started out doing teaching more workshops um, for how to like make drinks and cocktails and things like that. Um, and I still do some of that, but I, but um, that kind of morphed in, more into like teaching people how to make the herbal remedies just in their own kitchens at home. So I, I just love yeah, being able to help people have that empowerment, you know, to be able yes. to make it themselves. So can we go back to your mom and dad? Yeah. <laughs> so they both uh, studied acupuncture after they met then, right? So my dad had started studying in Cambodia. Mm. Um, and then, um, but, you know, then with the circumstances of needing employment and war and, you know, all kinds of things, he, he eventually, you know, ended up working on this, this oil tanker, you know, so he was not a practicing acupuncturist or anything, but he had started his training. Um, and then, um, so then when my parents moved, so after the ship, they, they lived in France for a while and then they moved to the U S and then, um, then my mom got acupuncture training, uh, went to acupuncture school in the U S, um, basically so she could help him, you know, set up a practice, um, in the U S. So, so they, you know, they shared the practice for a while and eventually it, it you know, it was really my, my dad's passion, I think. So, um, my mom was you know, stopped being an acupuncturist, but he, he's still an acupuncturist today. He still has two offices in Texas. Oh. So he, 
he works out of. Your mom is an incredible woman. Like, <laughs> yeah, she, she's pretty amazing. Yeah, pretty amazing. Um, and to have, you know, step in and out of so many different fields and, and mm -hmm. modes of being is so incredibly uh, powerful. Yeah, I think it, it has been a really good example to me through my life that, you know, there, you can do many different things and at different, uh, different stages of your life. And um, so that's, I think, in, in some ways that, you know, I was probably lucky to not grow up with some of the more stereotypical Asian, you know, expectations for um, career and, and, you know, things like that. But um, I, I did get some of that from my dad, but <laughs> um, yeah, I, I had feel a good example so, there. Um so guilty is not the word but my my wife went to yosan um mm -hmm. here in uh, la for a few years and um you know she talks about it a lot she talks about the herbal side and you know and i come from such a strange scientific uh, my brother's really into science the heart science and talks about these articles and you know living forever because of science and mm. And I'm somewhere kind of in the middle where I um, think that it's important. Science like that, heart science is important. Western science is important. But mm -hmm. at the same time, this herbal side is not talked about enough, I think, in, in American society. Uh, so there's this sort of like this middle, uh, probably this middle area where, um, and I want to ask you about that. It, when, mm -hmm. How can I find out or how can people find out about like scientific studies on herbs and how could we come to more of a understanding of the herbal world that's not official in like an aspirin or a penicillin mm -hmm. you know? yeah you know I, I fully agree you know i think that there are um gifts and benefits you know to to both of the perspectives or you know or not just two but you know many um you know different different um avenues you know to health and stuff. So, you know, we have the the more Western scientific traditions that are, you know, super important as well as a lot of these more traditional herbal tradition, uh, you know, practices. And so, you know, I think the more that we can like respect and, and weave the two in together is really important. And, you know, there's kind of different ways of looking at it because there are a lot of, um, scientific studies being done on certain herbs and on one hand I think that is really important you know it is able to to prove you know certain things that maybe um haven't been you know um proven in that you know realm before and so that's really important but but a lot of times those um studies will will take like a certain constituent of an herb like a you know like a certain you know certain chemical of it rather than like kind of the the more holistic you know traditionally you know, our, our ancestors or, you know, and our grandparents, you know, they were eating the whole herbs in, in their foods or in their remedies. And I think, and also probably, you know, spending time with those plants in the places where they lived and gather, growing them and gathering them. And I think that there's also a really important aspect of that too, that would be missing if you just take a pill that has, you know, whatever isolated constituents, you know, yeah, from, you, you don't put from the herbs. You don't put an herb in a centrifuge and, and you know, just take and pick what. Yeah. So, you know, but I think there, I think there is room for both. Um, my, so I, my co-author from the Wild Remedies book and my co-teacher for a, a class, a course that we teach called Rouge Medicine Circle, uh, Rosalie de la Forêt, she is great at like researching a lot of those scientific studies. So her, well, our book, our book together, and then she has another book called Alchemy of Herbs, and she is really, you know, 
great at diving into those those studies and um, you know that did like human clinical trials and things like that and and looking at that so um, so her you know her work and her articles I think are a great resource for that um, yeah and I think and then you know being able to, to as much as we can you know talk to our, our elders and you know the people who who do still have those traditions um, is really important um, a couple years ago I went most of my Vietnamese family lives in Boston and I hadn't seen them for many years and I went and visited and because I work in herbs now they were like so interested in talking to me about the herbs and you know sharing things that they had grown up with or you know remedies that they knew about and stuff and I mean I had like an uncle who uncle by marriage and I mean we probably like only spoken like maybe five sentences to each other you know like in right. my life but like suddenly it was like you know we were talking about plants and herbs and then he was talking about his childhood and like you know it's it like it was Opened this up. avenue into you know into connecting and so, so I think that's been um that was wonderful for me and I think it you know can be um you know hopefully for you know people who have uh, those family members who might have experiences uh, can be a wonderful way to talk to them you know and like you know I like I wasn't asking him about his childhood or about the war or you know it's, it's you know that's I barely, you know, my don't talk to my, my father doesn't talk to about a lot of that or my other relatives, but, but, you know, we started talking about herbs and then suddenly, you know, some other things, you know, right. Uh, yeah. Get shared. So now uh, is there much um, of a difference in the size of the Eastern herb studies or understanding versus the Western herbal realms? Yeah. You know, I think because I mean, there's probably been been you know a longer tradition and more probably respect you know paid to the herbal medicine you know on the eastern side that there is you know a, like a plethora of um, stuff on that side. Um, I think um, and I think that there's a lot of you know, there are a lot of like traditionally eastern medicine herbs that we can you know definitely you know incorporate in into you know our lives you know like maybe living in the west but um but in a lot of cases you know i think it is also really important to learn about the the plants where that are you know where you live um and you know so that then they're not necessarily being like shipped across the world and and you know grown on these like these mass you know scales you know everywhere that that, that as much as we can i think um try to cultivate um, plants ourselves or work with, you know, local growers and local herbalists. I think that there's a lot of, of value in, in, um, in that. So, but at the same time, you know, there, there are, there are plants that are really special, you know, from, from Asia or that, um, that we have like cultural connections to. So that's something I'm, I think I'm, I'm always kind of like, um, playing with too is you know I have a really love for the California native plants and so I grow a lot of those and, and work with them but I also grow a lot of like Vietnamese herbs and and you know I have like they hate the dry weather and like where I am but I have a little greenhouse <laughs> to try to keep them happy and where it's nice and humid um and so they may not be like the native plants but I have a very deep connection to them so they're also really important to me so I think you know people can, can weave in you know other you know, plant, plants that are, you know, might be important to them and um, in different ways. Our backyard in the Amazon and all of these places are, are quickly depleting uh, because of deforestation, uh, whether mm -hmm. we 
whatever side of the argument anybody's on, like that stuff is disappearing, period, right? There's no argument. Yeah. Is it something that can be stopped? The loss of all of these natural, um, powerful resources uh, in places that we are killing? Yeah, no, I think it is a really important question. And, you know, I, something that I, you know, I hope that we can stop, but then some, sometimes, you know, I think we might, we may be too far, <laughs> too far gone. And we, you know, kind of need to be resilient and adapt to, you know, whatever our new <laughs> um, world is going to be. But at the same time, um, working, you know, together to do whatever we can to try, try to, um, you know, stop yeah. those things from happening. I think, um, you know, I, I hope that, you know, in some of the things, like if somebody can, can start to spend more time connecting with the natural world, like just outside their own door, um, that hopefully that, that can, can then spark something bigger, you know, that, that then they can, through that love and connection, you know, with, with the natural world, just where they are, they can then want to protect it on a larger scale too. And um, so, you know, and that's something I wrestle with, you know, thinking about like, when we talk about like these figures, you know, who do really big things and, and launch, you know, huge movements. And I, and I, and I absolutely think that, that we do need that, you know, for sure. And that's really important. Um, but then, you know, sometimes thinking about like where my skills lie, you know, or something, sometimes it's maybe less than, you know, or it's not so much like going to, you know, to the Amazon to, you know, stop something from happening. Um, and I'm really glad there are people, you know, who are, are more, I guess, you know, maybe activist, you know, types in that way. Um, but I'm hoping that, you know, what I can do is just help people maybe change some things in their daily lives so that then they can have that perspective to mm -hmm. want to work, you know, for, for the, the greater um, world community. Yeah. Be, be more aware of just our local surroundings, right? Yeah. 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 Cause I mean, you know, if, if we don't even care about, you know, the, the stuff down the tree down the street, you know, how are we really going to care about, you know, plants and animals in places that, you know, they're so far away. So. Yeah. What are your thoughts uh, on, plant remedies and natural remedies um, in relation to the coronavirus and COVID? Yeah, that's a, you know, that can be a fraught <laughs> question, but, um, you know, I think COVID is so, you know, well, you know, we're a couple years into it yet, but it's, you know, it's still very new and changing all the time. And so there isn't, you know, herbalists don't have a lot of experience in, you know, treating COVID specifically. Um, so, you know, I, I definitely, you know, I don't think that it's responsible to be, you know, saying, you know, saying like, you know, these are the remedy, you know, herbal remedies we can use to prevent or cure or, you know, um, COVID. You know, I think that that, that can be really irresponsible. Um, but there is a long history of using herbs to, um, to help, you know, support our immune systems and to work with certain symptoms and things like that. So I think that, you know, Hopefully, you know, if we can be um, integrating those herbs, you know, into our lives to hopefully just be healthier, you know, overall. And, you know, if we do get COVID and, you know, have some like respiratory symptoms or something that, you know, that there are herbs that, you know, that we could use to, to help ease that. Um, so I think there, you know, there's definitely a place for it. Um, but I also, um, you know, I think it's really important for people to, to know that there's not going to be 
or I don't believe, <laughs> you know, that there's an, an herbal cure um, for that. It's good to know. So definitely, you know, we need to be listening to to the science and, and our doctors and, and as well. Good, good to know we're not going to be banned on YouTube for us. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> have you been back to Vietnam? I have never been to Vietnam. Um, it's my whole life. I mean, it's been like my lifelong dream to go. And I think I waited for, for a really long time to go with my father. Um, and so I was always waiting for a time when he was ready and interested to go. Um, and then finally, a couple of years ago, I decided, you know what, I'm just going to go by myself. Or actually, I had an aunt who was interested in going. So I was like, all right, you know, I'm just, I'm just going to do this. And then COVID hit. <laughs> so, so I'm still waiting, but, you know, hopefully in the near future. What, what do you um, think it'll be I'll like? I'll be able to do that. I don't know. You know, I think it's, it's like, I guess I, I hope that in some ways that some things will, there'll be things that maybe will feel familiar or, or will make sense in some ways, but I think there'll probably be a lot of things that are, you know, probably feel very foreign and different to me. And, and I'm sure that that will also have me questioning what does it mean to be Vietnamese again, you know, and, and, and kind of, you know, thinking about that. So, yeah, so I expect it'll be a pretty interesting, you know, at, at the very least, you know, experience, but yeah. I'm, um, and, but, you know, good thing about not going yet is it gives me a little more time to work on my Vietnamese. So <laughs> I feel a little bit more prepared. There are so many Vietnamese Americans, um, mm. with both parents that are Vietnamese that can't speak Vietnamese that mm. go there, connect and, you know, um, have a sense of, uh, some sort of belonging to, to Vietnam. Mm. And so I, I think that whatever your, um, whenever and wherever you go to in Vietnam, it's going to be a, um, it's going to be a definitely a life-changing uh, mm. experience. And uh, I, I'd love to hear your thoughts about it when you um, come back one day and, and yeah, yeah. <laughs> that would be an interesting, um, an interesting uh, uh, tidbit because it, it, it's like, it'll complete the, the cycle of mm. you know, full circle with um, your, your parents and, and there, yeah. there's so much, mm herbs and so much um of that sort of like naturally happening in vietnam from old yeah i'm so eager to learn about about that yeah there so i yeah. really appreciate your time today um you know we we started off as a as a pre-interview but it turned out to be this wonderful um episode for me and i've, I've learned a lot as I, as I usually do with people that I know, you know, nothing about, I know nothing about your field. And, you know, today was just a, a I'm sure it's just um, a teaser for all of the, um, the, the information on, on herbs and, and that sort of uh, world. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Thank you so much. Yeah. I really appreciate being able to talk to you. Emily, I appreciate it. And thank you again. Thank you for listening to the Vietnamese with Kenneth Wynn. The Vietnamese is produced by Brittany Tran, Special thanks to Jane Wynn, Catherine Wynn, Tina Pham, Sydney Jamie, and Crystal Trin. Please find us on Instagram, Facebook, and TikTok at The Vietnamese Podcast. You can also find us on YouTube where you can subscribe, like, and comment. Please rate and give us a review wherever you find our podcast. Thanks again for listening.